All right. What is up? Good to see you guys. Hey, uh, turn your neighbor and pinch him in the back of the elbow. Anybody ever been pinched in the back of the elbow ever growing up in church? That ever happened to anybody? If you haven't been pinched in the back of the elbow, then you obviously never went to a church with pews because that just is like a part of it. It's like part of being a disciple is getting pinched in the elbow at one point or another. Pinch your neighbor and say, pay attention. You're gonna, you're gonna need it. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I have a feeling this is about to be all about you. This whole thing is about to be all about you. Uh, we did just get back from another family trip. I'm just family trip out. Like, I'm kind of just done with it. I love my family and I love all that, but man, it's just been a lot. We were up in Montana, uh, and it, it's, it is beautiful this time of year. If, you, if you're wondering, Montana is beautiful two and a half months out of the year. And then it is winter, and whoo. But we were up there at the right time of year. Uh, visiting family, Cody's family lives up in Montana, but we're also up there for Cody's 20-year high school reunion. Can you believe this woman just had her 20-year high school reunion? It's like, she don't look like she could have been celebrating a 20-year high school reunion, but we were up there. It was an interesting dynamic. I, don't, I like going, I, I, I went to a bunch of different high schools, so I don't go to my reunions because nobody would know me there. But, but Cody grew up in the same town and same schools and all that stuff, so she knows everybody there. And it was interesting just watching that dynamic, you know, when, when you're around people that are coming back and they hadn't seen each other. We went to the 10-year high school reunion, you know, so we're like, man, some people really changed in 10 years, like really changed in 10 years. And uh, for me, though, I was like, this is cool. I, I, nobody has any context to who I am. And, and so I just get to kind of, you know, kick loose and, and relax. And, and, but it's interesting watching the dynamics with people and you can see some insecurity coming out, you know. You can see some people like unsure of themselves. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I was kind of having some of those thoughts like, man, that person, man, they're just so insecure. Look at them. Look at the way they're carrying themselves. And look at the way they're trying to put themselves out there to try to make themselves look like they're all that. And then I, and then the, I felt like the Lord just kind of convicted me. And I was just like, James, you remember how insecure you used to be? Do you remember how fearful you used to be that people would accept you? I'm like, yes, Lord. I'm sorry about that, <laughs> judging that person. But look at them, Lord. I mean, they just, <laughs> It's so important for you to know who you are in Christ and have a firm identity in him. And I didn't always have that. Honestly, it could be something that could creep in from time to time, a fear of man, you know, a fear of being rejected. Uh, that can certainly happen as a pastor. I mean, I'm, I'm standing up here in front of a few hundred people, and I could certainly be thinking, man, I hope, hope, hope they like me. One thing that always comes to mind, I hope my zipper's up. Like, I, always, I do have that thought a lot when I'm standing on stage. Going good to go. Uh, But the truth is this, all of us struggle with different things in our lives. And the fear of man and the fear of rejection was a major, major thing that the Lord helped me to overcome. And, and I want to talk about defeating giants today, okay? Uh, you could call it facing giants. We're not going to do a bear crawl up here with someone on my back. We're not doing any of that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can find it on Facebook. But, uh, but I do want to talk about overcoming these things because... There are things in our lives that if we don't overcome them, not with our own ability, but with God's truth, with God's word, with his plan, his purpose, you know, all those things, then they hang around. They stay there. And they can continue to create issues in our lives. So today I'm, I'm going to talk about David and Goliath. It's like one of the most famous Bible stories of all time, and I would encourage you, don't check out right now because you're like, oh, I've heard it, I've seen it on flannel boards when I've, since I was four years old, like, don't check out because I, I do think, I, I don't know about you, I read the word, I still learn new stuff all the time, I can read the same verse, same stories, I still learn new stuff, and I think that the Lord has some stuff he wants to teach us this morning. I love this story because it's, a, it's in one respect, it's a prophetic foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do, right? So David defeats 
The giant cuts his head off. Jesus defeats the ultimate giant, sin, cuts its head off. And so I love that part. But this story for David, man, it catapults his entire life. Everything that God is going to do through him. He goes from writing songs to God to a place where cheerleaders are writing songs about him. And this changes his life because of how he responded to his giant. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about your own life. And I want you to think about something that, that's a giant for you right now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe some things that will help you understand like what your giant is. But most of us right now, we could think it could be something from this morning. Like right now you're thinking, well, I've had a knockdown drag out fight with my wife or my husband this morning. So right now they are my giant. And I need the Lord to defeat them. Uh, you know, like... <laughs> You may be, I don't know what you feel like is that thing, but, but, but I want you to identify what it is and label it Goliath. And I think the reason why that's so important is because it'll build faith in you because you know how things turned out for Goliath. So I want you to think about that thing, and I want you to go ahead and label it. You got some notes. I didn't give you a little fill-out blanks. You're going to have to do a little work today, Okay. But you got some Blake lines, so, so get out a pen, get ready to write some stuff down because, because I think the Lord wants to help you. If you're not in the middle of facing a giant, you will be. You have been. It's going to happen. How do we respond? Well, how do you know when Goliath has come to town? How do you know when Goliath has come to town? Uh, first of all, Goliath looms large. He looms large. It's just, it's... Whew. He's just there. He's big. He's looming large. So let's go to our text. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I I may not read all this, but I just want to give you some context. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at a place that we can't pronounce in Judah. Uh, They pitched a camp at another place that we can't pronounce between that place and the other place that we can't pronounce. Uh, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah. That's my guess anyway. It might be Ella. And drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites, the other in the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out, to the, out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Write that down. Nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor, bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron, with an iron port weighing 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Okay, so he's basically wearing over 100 pounds in armor alone. Okay, so, so I, love, I love how this is just building this picture of this daunting, looming figure that not only in stature, but in every element of who he is, it's this intimidating man. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? I don't know what he sounded like, but I would assume he just constantly sounded like he was a heavy smoker. <laughs> Why do you come out and line up against, am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, then we will be your subjects or slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will be our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Give me a man. I love that. He says, give me a man. And God sends him a little punk teenager. <laughs> I love that. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. Okay, so how do you know when there's just this thing that is daunting, it's looming, it's, it's just looming large over you, hovering over them, everything describing him, it just seems so overwhelming. Anybody ever had something like that that just like, I don't, there's just, it doesn't seem possible for this to be overcome. 
It's looming large. Anybody ever had some people in your life that felt that way? Anybody bullied ever? Not like, you know, cyber bullied, but like an actual bully that was like big and mean and wanted to do mean things to you? Like, I had that. About halfway through my seventh grade year, uh, I moved back to live with my dad in Colorado. So I was in a new school and I got to this place and I've already talked about like some of my testimony, how I had some social issues and social anxieties and it made me emotional all this. But there are these two guys in this school, they were buddies and they were the bullies of the school. Seventh and eighth graders in the same school. But these two guys, they had been held back a couple of years. Like, when I, when I met these guys, they were so big, I'm like, that, that must be the building maintenance guys. Because I just assume, like, the, there's no way those guys are, are in this school as students. And they were. They had facial hair. It was really scary. And so one of those guys just decided he was going to have, they both decided, and eventually I got in a fight with one of them, but both of them decided, but the bigger of the two decided that he just had an issue with me. And I remember what happened. I was in a, in a class with him, which didn't make sense. I was in seventh grade. He was in eighth grade. But once again, he struggled in school. And so we were in this class together. And I don't remember. I said something. I wasn't even, didn't even say it towards him. And he just decided that he had an issue with me and that he was going to fight me because he thought that I thought that I was better than him. I'm like, man, I am, I am not better than anyone. <laughs> like, I, I, and I remember he said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to meet you after school out on the playground. I'm going to meet you after school. Courtyard, we didn't have a playground. But out in the courtyard, I'm going to meet you after school. This is towards the beginning of the day. So all day long, I'm thinking about this, right? It's looming in my thoughts. It's consuming me. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Man, like, what do I do? And we lived in southwest Colorado, and so we're by uh, the Navajo Reservation. And this guy, he was, he was Navajo. And so I started thinking, like, like he probably got He's Navajo, he's gonna come with a hatchet and he's gonna try to scout me. And like, I just like all these crazy thoughts all day long consuming me. I got to the end of the day, I walked out there, I had to go through the courtyard to get to the bus. He wasn't there, he didn't even show up. But I felt like I had been in a fight all day long. Because sometimes the looming of something is way worse than the actual fight itself when you're consumed with it. So that's one of the ways that you know that there's a Goliath in your life. These big, dark things that kind of shadow and like blot out the sun. S-O-N. What have your giants been? An unfaithful spouse? An abusive parent? Terrible boss? A mean spiritual leader? A struggling kid? Financial giants, career giants, health giants, addiction giants? You know when you're facing these moments because... They seem so huge, but they also become the defining moments of our lives because that's when you get to decide, will I advance? Will I retreat? Or will I just fold? Giants define the people that you're going to be. Another thing, Goliath affects your emotions. That's how you know Goliath's come to town because he's affecting your emotions. Verse 11 says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, which meant they lost hope. And they were terrified, full of fear. Here's the thing. You'll know when this giant is there because you'll think about it every five seconds. And it'll invoke emotion in you. Worry, stress, anxiety, fear. It just keeps popping up over and over and over again. So I just want to give you uh, some really, really strong, important pastoral advice. Never make any decision in life based in fear. Ever. 
The word says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when you have fear, it's not from God. Ever. Ever. So why would you ever make a decision in an emotion that is not from God? He hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power. Love. Sound mind. Sound mind. Not, oh, oh, I, oh, I stayed up until 3 o'clock in the morning thinking about this, and it turns out it didn't change anything. <laughs> Driven by it. Driven by fear. Look, we've all had things like this in our lives. This fear that has driven us. When I was little, we, we were living at a house that was kind of far out of town. And, and uh, so because we were further out of town, we, we had like a big dumpster instead of like a smaller uh, dumpster can. We had like a, like a commercial-sized dumpster because they didn't want to come out and get our trash too much because we were a long ways out of town. But because it was bigger trash, like it smelled a lot more. And so we had it a little bit further away from the house. When I was that age, I felt like it was like a mile away from the house. I'm sure it was only like 50 yards, but it just felt like it was forever away. And so I remember there being times we'd come to the end of the day and one of the responsibilities that me and my brother had was to take out the trash and I hated it when it was my turn to take out the trash because it was always dark when it was time for me to take out the trash. And so I remember having the trash and it's like as soon as I left the house, I would create this image in my mind and honestly, it might have been the enemy of this creature that was waiting out there. Anybody seen Stranger Things, the new season? Like that thing, okay? Like out the way, waiting, just waiting there for me. Only at night, only when it's dark, only when I was taking out the trash. And so I was just so intimidated, and so I'd go out there, and this is the way it looked every time. I just like real slow, like real tense, so I'd throw the lid open on the trash can, and I'd throw it in, I'd slam it, and I'd run as fast as I could back to the house because I was convinced it was going to get me, but I could outrun it. And I remember doing this over and over and over. One night I went and I did that, I, the same thing. And I... Threw it in there, I slammed the door, and I started to run. I got about 20 steps, and I stopped. I don't know why I stopped. And I turned around, and I looked into the darkness, and I just yelled at the top of my lungs, I ain't running anymore! And I just stood there, like, bring it. And after a little bit, I would, like, walk back towards the trash can. Slam the door a few times on the top of it. Yeah. I ain't running no more. And then I turned around, and I walked 20 steps, and then I ran as fast as I could to get back to the house. That may seem insignificant, but I remember it as a defining moment when I decided I was not going to let fear dictate my actions and decisions. And since that day, there's really almost nothing that I've, I'm afraid of. And I know that may sound, that's not meant to be, sound arrogant or prideful. I'm just not afraid of very much. I'm just not because I go through the line in the process of thinking and, and ultimately at the end of the process of thinking through a fear-based mindset, what are you afraid of? Death. So the worst thing that could happen to me is the best thing that could happen to me. <laughs> Bring it. And so because of that, I've done some bold stuff over the course of my life. I'm not saying that I've never had fear, but I faced it. I stared it down, and I went, and I overcame it. And I've had people say, James, you're just like, 
you're brave. Like, you're one of the bravest people I know. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I was just really glad I was wearing my brown pants when I did it because it got, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not like I wasn't scared, but I wasn't going to let fear dictate my actions and decisions. Another thing about Goliath, write this down. Write this down. Write this for this last point. Write this down. I think you've got to get to a place where you decide, even if I die doing this, I'd rather die than give fear credit. Another thing, Goliath just won't leave. He just won't leave. Verse 16, 40 days, the Philistine came out every morning, every evening, took his stand. So 80 times, 40 days. You ever just had people in your life that just won't leave? <laughs> like you ever had anybody over to your house and you're just like, oh, when are they going to leave? Okay? Like we, like men, you can admit to this because women won't admit to this. But men, have you ever been like with some family or whatever and you're just like, oh, I cannot wait for them to leave? Like I just want them to go home. Okay, don't look at people. Don't look at people right now. We're already backed up on marriage counseling. We don't need any more right now. But I felt that way. And so I've been taking notes. Like people just wise, you know, that lived a lot of life. Like how do they deal with it when people are at their home or whatever and they just won't leave? I love how Pastor Rick deals with this. If you're over hanging out at Pastor Rick's house and everybody's having a good time, I love it because he, he is one of the most sociable, fun guys to be around. But it will get to a point in the evening and it's not very late. He's got a lot going on. He's up pretty early. He just, he'll be laughing. He's like, all right. And he'll just stand up and go to bed. Everybody, like, we'll just be, like, sitting around. He's like, I think he's good, done. <laughs> so then everybody just leaves because it's awkward staying in the pastor's house, and he's in there snoring, you know. It's, it's this old pastor that I knew, this is the way he would say it. All right, everybody. Well, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. So see you later. And he turned off all the lights. And <laughs> that was it. I had this, this poem. One of our other pastors shared this with me. I've seen the lights of London and I've seen the lights of Rome. But the greatest lights I've ever seen are the taillights of my grandkids headed home. You know, okay, any empty nesters in the house? Yeah. I hate you, empty nesters. I hate you. I just hate, I'm jealous. But grandparents, they like that because it's like they have grandkids and babies there. They're like, oh, hold the babies and spoil them and teach them bad habits and give them way too much sugar and all that stuff and then send them home. We know how you roll. But you'll know it's a Goliath when it doesn't just go away. You can't close your eyes and then open them and hope that it's gone. He'll still be there. He'll still be there. Some of you, you've been closing your eyes, wishing that a giant, that your Goliath would go away for years, decades. He's not going to go away on his own. You have to kill him. That's the only way he's going to go away. So what is Satan's perspective in this fight? I, I think it's important for you to understand because if you don't have the right idea of what the enemy is doing you can't defeat him if you don't see it the way he sees it you don't understand what you need to do to beat him first of all satan wants you to fight alone that's one thing understand this tactic goliath and this tactic the philistines they didn't they did this all the time this was not uncommon they're like look we're 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 gonna lay siege to this country like we want to defeat the whole country why waste a bunch of soldiers if we can just send one warrior and if we kill them then we got them why 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 do this and and, and i love how the enemy will get us convinced of the same type of foolish logic like you don't really need a 
You really need a towel like a bunch of people? I mean, this is kind of embarrassing. This is kind of, it's private. You really need to tell a bunch of people? Like, you can do this on your own. Satan wants you to fight alone. But God always meant for us to fight our battles with our church family, with our family. Fighting battles should be a family affair. We should fight as an army, as a team. I remember one of the towns I grew up in, there was this family there, there, the Archuletas, 13 kids, and nine of them were boys, okay? And, and all the boys were the oldest kids. Like, they had three girls at the tail end, okay? So... How many of y'all know, nobody picked a fight with an Archuleta, right? Because you're going to have all those brothers coming after you. Nobody messed with the Archuletas. Uh, my brother and I, we started this little landscaping, not landscaping, we mowed yards. Uh, and <laughs> no offense to people who have, do landscaping and you mow, but that's really all we did. We just mowed yards. We, we didn't create anything or make, you know. But the problem was Archuleta's mowed yards. So they had like a territory. And, and we're just trying to make a little bit of cash, you know, just a little on the side. And, and so at one point or another, I remember one of, the, one of the Archuleta boys, he was like a man to me, like, you know, he's like, I hear y'all are mowing yards now. I'm like, yes, sir. He's like, well, where all are you mowing? Like, we just got like, they're not important. Nobody even knows about them. They were like, over here, over here. He's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's all right. Like I was like talking to the godfather of mowing yards. Like, yeah, well, tell you what, I'll give you a couple of yards. Yeah. You go beyond that, though. You know, Benny might have to show up. And do some. I went from Italian to Hispanic there, I think. <laughs> I just love Latin culture. I just do. <laughs> but I remember, man, the power and the force of this family and the influence that they had because everyone knew they had each other's backs. I think every morning when your head pops off the pillow, all of hell should writhe in terror and fear because they know you're not by yourself. You're not going to fight anything that you face throughout the day on your own. And it's not just, it's just me and God. We got this. That is not biblical. It's not biblical. God created everything, the universe. It's all good, 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 good. What's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. It's supposed to fight with people. Cody and I have struggled with this. A few years ago when Cody got diagnosed with skin cancer, and one of our first responses, okay, well, let's just kind of keep this private for a second. Well, let's just wait and see what happens. And you know what it is? For me, it was this fear like, okay, but if we get all this faith around this thing and then something bad happens, what is that going to do to people's faith? Isn't that interesting? I think that's one of the tactics of the enemy. Don't pray big, specific, miraculous prayers because then what if it doesn't happen? Oh, my goodness. And so I went and told our pastors, like, hey, man, Cody's got some skin cancer. And it's, 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 you know, pretty aggressive. He's like, all right, well, let's get everybody praying. I'm like, oh, tell everybody? He's like, why? I'm like, because, huh? I don't know. He's like, hundreds of people know you guys. Let us fight with you. That's good advice. Let somebody fight with you. Don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. Pray as a team. We serve like an army. We fight like a family. It's got to be personal. Satan has a larger strategy than the one battle you're facing. Satan's got a larger strategy than the one battle you're facing. 
it's the reason why, you know, the Philistines, they actually came from an island. And so when they figured out how to sail, they came in, they, they got ahead of the Israelites and, and with, with iron, with metal. So they were a much more, they were a much more advanced army, but they had a smaller population. And so they couldn't waste soldiers. They were interested in overtaking nations. So the reason why this was being set up in this particular valley at this particular time was not for that one battle. They were thinking about, we're going to have to fight a lot of battles. But if they would have overtaken the hill country, if they would have won this battle, they would have won the whole country. Partly because the hill country was where agriculture happened. It's where livestock ate. If they were in the wilderness, that, that, that territory didn't matter, but the hill country mattered. And it would have given them the higher ground. So they weren't, but they weren't just thinking about right there. There's a lot bigger thing going on than what you could see. I think it's so easy when we face glass in our own life just to compartmentalize things. Ah, it's just my health. It's my finances. Man, it's a big battle with my job or a big battle with this addiction. Satan wants way more ground than just that. First, he wants your minds. And then he wants your feelings to be dictated by your thoughts. And then he wants your actions. And he wants your actions to affect your marriage, your future, your kids, your grandkids. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. But it's a lot bigger than just that one battle. So we know the story, right? David destroyed Goliath, cut his head off, bat flip, mic drop. But why? How? Why David? What was so special about David? First of all, David saw the fight with spiritual eyes. With spiritual eyes. Verse 23 through 24 and as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine's champion of gas, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him with great fear. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, uh, so what would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I love this. Like everybody else is afraid, and David's like, like what do I get if I kill this dude? I get some money, a girl, girlfriend, something like, like what, do, what do I get? Like, he's not, he is clearly not seeing this the way that they're seeing it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There's a big difference between how others saw Goliath and how David saw Goliath. Like, the army's like, oh, he's nine foot tall, big old. Spear and this big shiny heavy armor and he comes out and he's vulgar and he cusses and he makes me sad. He sounds real professional. And David's like, who is this? Uncircumcised. He hadn't even been to the doctor yet. Who is this dude? But when he said uncircumcised, what he meant was this. He's not with God. We are. Who is this guy? What are y'all doing? He saw it different. His brothers had been hanging out with each other and the influence of the rest of the soldiers. But David had been hanging out with God. He had alignment with God. He knew who he was. And he was confident, like almost cocky. Like he's a teenager. This is like, this is like true about teenagers, right? Like unlogical, cocky confidence. Like I, you just see this. It's like, oh, I got this. Whatever. You know, summertime, so when I'm at the gym, there's a lot more teenagers and high schoolers at the gym, right? So there'd be some guys in there. 
ninth graders. What's up? I'm going to do some bench. They go over and set up on the bench. Well, you want to, I would just put, put a couple 45s, just let me warm up a little bit. So they get on there, warm up. Like, <laughs> Friends are all, you got it, you got it, get it, get it. Anybody ever see the power team at any point growing up? Help him, help him. You got it. gets up, yeah, all right, put a couple more 45s on there, <laughs> you got, you're going to die, <laughs> your friends can't pick this up off of you, but just confident that they have it, when you're a child of the living God, <laughs> your confidence is not going to make sense, it shouldn't. It's supernatural. You just see it different. You see it from an eternal perspective, and it gives you confidence. Like, yeah, it seems like a lot of things are going bad right now, but I'm still going to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol because I've got God on my side. He's got my back. At one point or another, you've got to identify the things that are in your life that are not of God, with God, from God, or for God, and you've got to kill it. Just see it like this is just not from God. It's not of God. This is not, so it's just got to die. I'm going to kill it. Max, Max Licato, he said it this way, anyone standing against God like that must have rocks in their head. Fight the fight with the right weapons. Fight the fight with the right weapons. So I'm just going to give you an overview of this next section of verses. This is verse 32 through 34. But basically he goes to Saul and he says, Saul, um, I'm going to take care of this for you. So I was like, whatever. You're like, no, you're not. You're just a little punk teenager. Like, what, what's going on? He's like, no, you don't understand because I'm a, a shepherd's sheep. And so, like, I killed a bear. Okay. I killed a bear, I killed a lion, I killed these animals, and I'm just going to treat this dude like the same little pestering thing. And I love this. I love this foreshadowing that's happening. But here's the thing, like he tells Saul all this, and Saul's like, okay, all right, yeah, yeah, you got this. Let me put on my armor on you. Let me give you my weapons. I love this. God has uniquely, and designed, uniquely designed you to overcome everything that has ever happened in your life. Stop going to the world and asking them to help you overcome stuff. Because God never intended you to wear their armor, use their weapons. He's already uniquely designed you to defeat every giant that has happened in your life. How did David defeat Goliath? As a shepherd. Not as a soldier, as a shepherd. And I love this because it's the foreshadowing of how Jesus came. Because Jesus came as a great shepherd. He came as a great shepherd. To take care of, to protect. He did it for you. He's already given you everything you need. Stop listening. Stop using the tools of the world to try to defeat stuff. And start using what God has already given you to defeat stuff. <laughs> operate the way he created you to operate. His first weapon. If I ask you, like, what are the weapons? It's a sling stone. No. Yeah, that's how it played out in the natural the battle was already won before he had the stones, before he had the sling. The battle was already won. 
Because his first weapon was his faith. He already had that. He had that. His second weapon was he already knew what God had done. He'd seen it in his own life. That's one of the most powerful weapons you have is just remembering what God has already done. You just need to remember that. I remember, God, things are bad financially right now. But I remember when we were newly married and I was making 600 bucks a month and, and I was living paycheck to paycheck and we had the envelope system and there was like $5 in each envelope and we thought we were going to die. And God took care of us and he provided he always made a way. I remember when I was addicted and I couldn't break this addiction. But God showed up and he set me free. And sometimes it's not your testimony, it's the testimony of other people. I remember when my friends lost that loved one. And I remember how they were heartbroken, but they still had faith. And they still had peace. And they still had this supernatural joy. So I know God can do that for me when I experience loss. One of the greatest weapons you have is just remembering what God has already done. So instead of getting hysterical with your fear, start getting historical with your testimony. And stop, instead of letting your emotions just drive everything, Satan, you remember? You're already defeated. You're already defeated. This is what God has done. You're already beat. Just remind him. And it's also remembering that we're not fighting with the weapons of this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So what are the weapons? Prayer. The word of God. It's got to be more than a book. It's got to be more than a daily meme. It's got to be your standard. It's got to be. It's got to be God speaking to you. A letter for you, written to you, for you, for everything that you're going through. It's also quoting scripture. You can't quote scripture if you don't know it. Quoting the promises of God. You can't quote promises if you don't know what they are. You got to consume this. Another thing you can learn from David is he ran at giants. Verse 48, the Philistine moved closer to attack him. Dave ran, David ran. I'm going to call him Dave. We're close. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. In other words, look, when something tries to come at me, I'm going to move to meet it with boldness, with confidence, not in myself, but because I know who I am. One of the first times I ever played paintball, anybody like paintball in here? Okay, well, one of the first times I played paintball, I played with Cody's brothers and her up at this, this summer camp. This is when we were dating still, and so her brothers wanted to kill me. And, uh, and so I was up there, and they had played a lot of paintball. I'd never really played these things. So when I first got out there, like, we weren't just playing like get hit once, you're out. We were playing like get hit multiple times. I don't remember how they like rewrote the rules for me, I think. And so we're out there. It's like, da, 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 da. I'm just like, ah, just like hiding and everything. And so then I just got to a place where I was like, remember the trash can. And so what I decided to do, remember the trash, I take the trash out and I was like, okay, okay. Uh, try to trash. And so what I started doing was, instead of like hiding and ducking and weaving, I'd get a little bit close, and then I'd come out and just run straight at them. Just run as fast as I could at them. They didn't know what to do. Like, you're not supposed to do that! Just freak them out. Cody got upset when I did it to her. Uh, like, sorry! I don't know what else to do! Because anything you run at, any problem that you have in your life, when you run at it, it loses authority over your life. Until that point, it has complete control over you. But as soon as you say, uh-uh, mm-mm, no, 
no, sir. No, sir. As soon as you advance, all of a sudden it's like, I don't have, it doesn't have the authority that it thought it had. That problem, that issue, it loses emotional control. The word says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. When the Israelites, one of the reasons why David had so much confidence is because he knew the giants had been defeated before. He remembered, he knew his, he knew his history. So remember the Israelites first came into the promised land. You remember Caleb? Caleb was one of the, the spies that came back with the positive report about the promised land. Like, hey, we, we got this. There's giants. There's awesome. And Caleb's like, yeah, we got this. God gave, said we're going to have it, so we're going to have it. It's not a big deal. They got great grapes. We're going to have some good wine over there. It's going to be good. Let's go. When Caleb was 80 years old, after they'd gone through and destroyed all these armies, all these people, when, he, when all that had happened, and I went to Caleb, like, Caleb, you've been so faithful and you've been so strong. Like, you can have any place, any place in the whole country, you can have any of it. If I'm 80 years old and I've been fighting like that my whole life, I'm like, y'all give me some beachfront down on the Sea of Galilee, build me a lake house. I'm going to sit back, you know, you can train some camels and pull me around on a little wakeboard or something like that. But I'm done. And what did he say? He said, no. Ha ha. Give me the hill country. Give me the hill country. You're 80. <laughs> Give me the hill country. Why the hill country? It was the only place that giants still lived. <laughs> so Caleb says, yeah, I'm 80 years old and I want to spend the rest of my life killing stuff that's twice as big as me. Because there's no better fulfillment than living in that place of faith. Trusting God. Knowing that he's got your back. Close your eyes, bow your heads. you're here today and you just know there's a giant you're facing in your life. It could be relational. It could be financial. It could be an addiction. It could be an addiction towards a substance, prescription drugs, alcohol. It could be pornography. I don't know what it is. But if you just know you're facing a giant, I just want you to put your hand up right now. Just put your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Put your hand up right now. God, we see, we recognize that there is a giant and we can't kill it, but you already have defeated the enemy. And greater is he than it is, that is in us than he that is in the world. And so I'm gonna stand on the promise of your word. And God, I pray that you stir faith in Jesus' name and every one of these people. Help them to have eyes to see this giant the way that you see them. Because you're not anxious and you're not fearful. You have complete and total perfect peace. Help them to walk in that place. God, whatever it is, I wanna just speak to those giants, whether it's from the enemy, whether it's something we devise in our own emotions, our own thoughts and feelings, whatever it is, I command every thought, I command every emotion, I command every word that has set itself against the knowledge of who these people are in Christ Jesus, and I command it to submit in the name of Jesus, under the blood of Jesus Christ, under the cross, under the sacrifice that he paid, that he came to give us life and life to the full, that you have not given them a spirit of fear, but you have given them a spirit of courage, of love, of a sound mind. So I speak that every mind emotion and thought be at peace and that you give them the strategy you give them the process you give them the plan you give them whatever it is to overcome and to defeat and kill this giant in Jesus name if you're here today and you've never had a relationship with God you know that some of this stuff is resonating in you but the reality is if you die today, you have no confidence of where you would spend eternity. Well, I wanna tell you, I wanna encourage you. You can have hope, you can have confidence, you can have peace. Without Him, you can't. Without a real relationship with God, I'm not talking about religion, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about a real, authentic relationship with your Heavenly Father. And if you've never had that before, or you just know you're away from God for whatever reason, and you're ready to admit that you need Him, I wanna pray with you. And if you wanna be included in this prayer, put your hand up right now across this room. I know I'm away from God. 
I know I need a relationship with him. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Got it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray with you. Right now, you're going to experience this relationship. Anybody else? I need a relationship with God. I'm away from him. Yes, sir. Got it. Anybody else? Got it. Yes. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, for those few hands, I thank you so much for their lives. I don't know everything that's going on, but you already have a plan. You already have a purpose. You've already uniquely created them to do amazing things for your kingdom and through their life. And God, I just pray that right now they would sense your presence and your grace. So just talk to God and just say, God, here's my life. And I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. And I've tried. And I've tried to do this on my own. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I know that, that Jesus, you paid the price so that I could be saved. And I confess and I ask for your forgiveness and, and I'll surrender my life to you because I, I know that you can save me from my sin, but I, I know unless I surrender my life to you, I, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to have control because me doing it, I've messed it up. So I want you to be my Lord. I surrender to you and I repent. I don't want to keep living the same way I've been living. I want to live according to the way you want me to live. So help me to understand what that means in your word and in relationship with other people and that you speak to me by your spirit every day. Thank you for that, Father God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you do. You, there is no giant. We just, we want to recognize our Goliaths for what they are and know that they are a defeated foe. Even now, even now, those things are overwhelming. God, I pray, if nothing else, peace that transcends understanding if nothing else, but let God let us be a people who run confidently at everything that opposes who we are in you. That we run confidently to attack and kill everything that would try to destroy your plans, your promises. And God, help us to equip other people to do the same thing by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise in this place.